Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, Texas Slim here. We got Wednesday, it's 11 a.m. Central Time, and we have a very good guest, special guest actually today. And uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk Bitcoin and beef, but I first wanna let you uh, and remind you that uh, Texas Slim's vision, uh, Texas Slim's media company is now podcasting 2.0 with the help of Adam Curry and team. And uh, now you can actually stream sats. You can get sats back. Uh, go to the Fountain app. If you're not familiar with it, go to the Fountain app and start streaming sats as you listen. We don't have any advertisements unless it is advertisements from this mouth. Uh, of course, we are partners with KNC Cattle. KNCCattle.com is part of the Beef Initiative and a driving force behind the Beef Initiative. So podcasting 2.0, decentralized sound communications, Beef Initiative, decentralized beef market access to pure animal protein with KNC Cattle, Cole Bolton. So to get started today, what we have going on today, we're going to have a very good conversation with the author of the book, Bitcoin and Beef. And uh, if you have not seen this on Bitcoin Twitter, you need to go check it out. We have the author here today. We have Tristan Scott and uh, Tristan, we finally get to meet and it's glad I'm glad to have you on the show. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, son. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's awesome to finally connect. And I know we've gone back and forth on Twitter. So I appreciate you having me. And it's awesome to find someone else who's so into Bitcoin and beef. You bet. It's it's kind of interesting, the story. We'll go into that. And I want to give you thanks and give you a lot of respect for staying with me and staying persistent because it took you uh, sending two books. Don't know what happened to the other book, the post. Maybe it got, you know, maybe the maybe the Fed got it. I don't know. But anyways, they don't like stuff like this. So the P.O. boxes. Yeah, they're tough. Yeah. They are tough, but we got the book. Uh, you know, I, I I gave it to my dad to start reading. He's been reading it. I've been going through the pages and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I said, well, we got to get this going because we have the Colorado conference coming up. We have other conferences. And it was funny. I was looking at the timeline. You published the book in June, right? Of When, when was that book published? Uh, actually, it was April, but April, I probably okay, didn't, right. you know, really ramp up promotion and get on Twitter till like May, June timeframe. Right. So, well, let's talk about your journey and then you know, we'll kind of do some correlation here about the message. Uh, you were doing some things as I was doing some things and, you know, we didn't even know it, but our paths have crossed now because of Bitcoin and beef. So tell the audience a little bit about you, uh, where you came from, a little bit of your story and how you came to write and become an author. Absolutely. Yeah. So kind of obviously the, the book is talking about two converging paths of uh, Bitcoin and beef. Um, and also synonymous uh, is, is like the health um, movement that's going on, taking control of your health. So for me, um, my health journey kind of started in at the end of college when uh, I suffered one too many concussions. Most most of them were from my, my college athletic career as a soccer player. Um, and I really was in poor health for over a year, you know, kind of doctors, neurologists told me that there was not much I could do besides take it easy. So I get back into, you know, my routine, um, brain injury is really tough because, you know, they're, 
um, not a traditional recovery route. Things have gotten better, but basically I decided to, you know, that wasn't acceptable and I was going to take my health into my own hands. So I dove down the rabbit hole of, you know, the health community, listening to as many books, podcasts, YouTube videos as I can, as I could to try and get information on how to heal myself. And eventually I did by, you know, changing my diet, my lifestyle, focusing on sleep, stress, high quality foods. Um, and that pretty much turned my life around. And now, you know, three, four years later, I'm in better health than I ever was before my concussions. So it's pretty astounding. So I was pretty much hooked on the health train. And that led me into kind of, you know, being obsessed with optimizing health, but also understanding our food system naturally. And, and there you kind of learn where are things coming from, how are things grown, um, spent more time out in Wyoming, visiting ranches and farms, buying, you know, whole half beefs the past two, three years, and really getting into regenerative farming as well and, and understanding how we can improve our farming system. So that's kind of that journey. And, and that's really piqued my interest um, because I really healed myself by optimizing what I ate and how I lived on a daily basis. And I was back in the driver's seat of my life, which is a theme of the book, right? And and on the Bitcoin um, decentralization, uh, decentralized currency side of things, I was, you know, I'm an engineer. Um, I went to school at a tech school. So kind of just exposed to, you know, this new frontier of, of currency uh, in early 2017 amongst fellow engineering students, kind of just intrigued by it and, uh, you know, got involved, learned lessons the hard ways was, you know, some altcoins, but I really was just hooked on, on learning more about what I thought, you know, was an opportunity to um, be on the, the front lines of, of a new frontier of, of technology. And eventually, you know, learning the hard way kind of pointed me to, to just focus on Bitcoin in the past few years. And, and uh, last year, kind of in the beginning of 2021, just kind of had an epiphany where I was like, you know, these these two aspects are, are very similar. I'm, I'm super interested in this decentralized finance. I'm super inter interested in, in health optimization, farming, regenerative farming, decentralized food systems. So many other people kind of had a similar interest as well. You know, a lot of the health focused people were into Bitcoin. A lot of the Bitcoiners are carnivores and, you know, focused in the farms, farming and homesteading. Why is that? And I thought, you know, there's not really any material out on, on the converging paths of both of these topics, which I saw as it's taking control, taking back control of your life. It's putting you back in the driver's seat of your health and your wealth, um, being the owner of your finances instead of, you know, trusting some very corrupt banking financial system and uh, a money uh, currency that's being debased um, heavily um, with um, quantitative easing and all the you know the monetary policies that are trying to um, prop up our, our economy, um, which is hurting the the average individual. And you know the average individual is just being robbed by not being able to just save in in their own currency. They're having to play part time investor just to stay afloat and keep up with real levels of inflation, which have been extremely high. Uh, not just recently, but now, of course, astoundingly high. Um, but then on the health side of things, you know, taking back control of your health, where if you're just an average American, you go to the grocery store and buy things that you think are healthy for you, they're actually not. And you're totally disconnected with where the food comes from, how the food is uh, raised. And uh, there's there's no 
connection with your farm or your rancher. So getting back to the roots and uh, yeah, fixing that is, is what I felt like I could bring by writing a book on these topics. And the book is really just a culmination of what are the important takeaways? You know, what is Bitcoin? Why is it, you know, a better form of money than anything else we've ever seen? And what are the common criticisms that are painted in the media um, and, and answering them with, with facts. So that was kind of the, the inspiration for the book and, and my journey is I just saw so many similarities in these topics. And if you go back into the history, you know, our food and monetary systems are so connected because obviously they're, they're two of the most important things in, in life. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's, a, that's a fantastic summary. And one thing that I'd like to point out is that a lot of people are in your situation right now. And that's what I hear, you know, across the board, you know, I was just on the road for like a month or 40 days, really, collectively, and I met a lot of young men out there, a lot of young women as well. And one thing that I found when I was writing, you know, kind of at the same time you were writing, you know, I was just doing the Substack here. You you wrote a book, but one thing I noticed, and and I felt this way as well because I I got into deeper food intelligence because of injuries, and you know, you got into it because of concussions. And one thing that people don't know is they 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 kind of jump into food intelligence and money midstream. They don't know where to start, and you know what I'm I'm really wanting to know like when was that moment for you because you you know you had concussions people don't understand that type of injury i've had like seven in my life way back when usually when i was younger and everything and the healing process is different there's things about it that are you know really take away your cognitive ability in a lot of ways so when you're trying to heal yourself and everything it's kind of difficult to jump into a solution with not knowing what you don't know right so what was that moment in time? And let's go back to the beginning that you kind of that you can kind of reflect on saying so we can help other people out there that this, this was the turning point. This was that aha moment, that moment of clarity, even with the clouded mind that you had, you were able to kind of move forward with the solution that you've kind of come up with for yourself. Yeah. So for me, the I guess the turning point was just realizing that something could be done because, you know, I had neurologists telling me that there wasn't really much that could be done. The brain, um, you know, kind of can't be healed like a regular injury. Um, but, you know, I read one one book called, uh, you know, I think the brain changes itself or the brain, some brain healing book. Um, and it just had a bunch of stories about chronic pain and how through different modalities, people were able to overcome severe disabilities and things like that. And I just, it, it clicked in my mind that, wow, if these people that were likely in worse situations than I am drastically improve their state of health um, because the brain is plastic, you know, neuroplasticity is real, that you can heal yourself to a place that it may not be ever to a point where it fully was, but it'll at least be, you know, leaps and bounds better than I was in that current state. So that was kind of my turning point was the realization you know, that's, that's the first step. And, and that's the real battle. Because once you believe that you can heal yourself, you're going to do anything it takes to reach that goal. And then from there, it was just, you know, finding the right um, resources and information, and then trying things and seeing if how well they worked, and then moving on to the next modality. 
Yeah. And that is, I mean, a lot of people don't understand, you know, psychologically and how the brain works as far as whenever you accept something and, you know, whenever you actually, you know, truly realize acceptance is a key in any type of change that you need. If you can accept that there is a pathway forward different than, let's say, the pharmaceutical route or, you know, the modern day complex that is the medical industry, so-called medical industry. Once you can accept saying, hey, there's other options out there and there's other solutions, you know, and when you have that clarity, then you can move in a different path and you can kind of take those steps and point your compass in a different way. And that's kind of how I've always approached approach food intelligence now. And, you know, I approach money too. Once you accept that there's uh, there's other options out there than maybe what we've been programmed and taught through academia, through the institutions, through the programming of the media that we all consume, you know, every day, then that's the first step that you really need to take. And once that happens, you know, if you have any intentionality to you in life, you have a sense of agency that you, you, the individual are basically the change. Of course, we've heard that it's a cliche, become the change you want. But once you find that destination that you want to get to, I mean, it really does flow. And, you know, writing and creating content and doing like for me personally, doing the beef initiative. And as you've done, you know, beef with Bitcoin, Bitcoin and beef, you know, it just happens symbiotically in these connections that we're making these days in our lives across the board. You know, we'll look at Bitcoin Twitter, look at all the people that we've met that we would have never have met you and I if we wouldn't have done our path accepting that that there is something else out there there is a solution so i want to bring that up to people out there that are wanting to maybe change their consumption models wanting to change create a solution get back into you know what is food the true food food intelligence that'll give you that self-empowerment and it's out there you know you just got to take those first steps but you know if you can accept that there needs to be change you can go down that path so saying that you wrote the book. Uh, you're out here right now, and you're kind of you're. What you're doing is you're 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 getting on podcast. You self published a book. Uh, let's talk about that because there's a lot of people out there that try to write books, they try to create content, and they don't know how to create that path forward to get it to get it seen. So let's talk about that because you're a published off, author now. You did it yourself without a publishing company. Let's give some people some tips and uh, some some direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a form of decentralization in itself, which I mm -hmm. thought was kind of cool, right? I mean, although it's uh, through Amazon, a highly centralized company, you don't have to go through a publisher. And actually, what most people don't realize is that when you do go through a publisher, they pretty much just own your book and own the rights to everything. And then they just kind of like pay you um, a lump sum is at least my understanding of how it typically works. Um, so and then, of course, they have their own marketing channels and everything like that. But how did I do it? How, how do I recommend doing it is, is first write the book, you know, write uh, at least an outline uh, and then kind of get started. People can go at it different ways, chapter by chapter. But, you know, get some pen to paper or, you know, uh, your, your Word docs going and, and really just write like the majority of the, the manuscript and, and have an idea of, of what you want to do and that might be challenging at first and seem like a huge daunting task, but you can chip away a good amount um, over over months of time, uh, more than you think. And then once you feel like you're at a place where you know you've you've put in a good amount of information, I, I highly recommend hiring you know a freelance editor or, or um, peer reviewer. Send it to your friends, family, 
first and, and, or just read it yourself out loud and, and see how it flows. So that's kind of what I did. And, and I hired a couple different freelance editors to, to check my grammar and uh, check the flow and, and how things kind of went in the books and in the chapters. Did it make sense at a high level? And then of course, at the lower level paragraph sentence level, is there things that could be omitted, things that needed to be changed, the wording of, cause you know, we're not, I'm an engineer, you know, I've had decent writing skills compared to most engineers in the past because I'm more on the marketing business side of engineering now. But, you know, there was a lot of things that were changed when I hired my my freelance editors. And and that's another cool thing about, you know, the, the modern platforms that exist, Fiverr or um, Upwork, things like that. You can hire a freelance editor and that's just you and them. There's no third party. There's no company. That's That's decentralization going, you know, right from... Uh, the person who's providing you the service uh, to yourself. So that's, that was really cool. And I was happy to do that. And then, yeah, from there is kind of just fine tuning, editing um, with them, as well as peer review, um, send it to as many friends and family members that would provide feedback as, as possible. And then, yeah, going through the Amazon KDP Kindle direct publishing system is pretty easy um, they make it really simple for you to just, you know, upload a, a graphic uh, for your cover, which I had uh, one of my good friends is a graphic designer. So that was cool. I was able to, you know, um, have him do do my cover work and artwork as well as some promotional material. If you don't have a friend like that, again, you could hire a freelance graphic designer. There's plenty of them that do great works on, on the same kind of platforms to hire work. And yeah, Amazon KDP, you just upload kind of the different formats of the manuscript, PDF or Word doc, depending on if it's a Kindle version or, or hardcover or paperback. And then you can kind of go set your prices. Highly recommend doing some research on similar style books, you know, what people are charging. And then depending on the page count and um, preferences, they will give you a price of how much it costs. But of course, you know, if you're self-publishing first time author, for me, this is not about making money whatsoever. This is about pure education. So sure. I've seen some, I've seen some, you know, actually people with large followings um, self-publish a book and then they charging like $30 for their book, um, like a paperback, which I know they're probably making $20 a copy on, which is absurd. And, uh, you know, it's not about the money. It's, it's just about education. So I highly recommend that. But yeah, the Amazon KDP platform is, is super easy to use and, um, I really thought it was going to be a lot more challenging than it was. That, see, that's good feedback for people out there on the fence, you know, take action, you know, you know, take responsibility and take ownership of your ideas. And, you know, we, what we do is we uh, self-talk our way out of, uh, you know, success a lot of times. And, you know, they're usually the problem is, you know, right here between the ears. So I commend you for doing that. So let's get into the book. And one thing you brought up earlier, you know, you said you went to Wyoming. And you went out there and you started sourcing beef. And one of the questions I get asked all the time, well, how do I find a rancher? Uh, how do I approach a rancher? How do I talk about a rancher? How do I orange peel a rancher? You know, it's just every day that's what I'm getting. So, you know, I'm building out, you know, solutions based on that because they're good questions. You know, people don't know. So I want you to kind of say how you approached it. Let's talk about Wyoming. Let's talk about, you know, sourcing half beef quarter beef, whatever you did, and you're kind of your, your journey into that. And then I'll kind of follow it up with the, my same journey and we'll kind of meet in the middle here. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was pretty fortunate. My, my sister, she, she lived in Wyoming and that's kind of why I went out there. I went out there to visit a few times and, and she had some friends that, that were ranching um, some beef. And uh, yeah, we were fortunate enough to go out there. And, and one time we even, you know, helped move cattle, quote unquote helps, you know, the, the real cowboy did all the work, but we were there to see how it went down on some horses, which was awesome. And yeah, you know, interacting with the cattle that, that I ended up, you know, uh, two, three years in a row buying from them, um, sharing with my sister at first, a half beef and then buying quarter myself. So yeah, that was go fortunate. Back, go, go back real quick. How did y'all meet that rancher? Exactly. Um, yeah. So she, she lived in a small town and, you know, she's working for, she was working for the school and, and, uh, I think it was, they were taking a class together, uh, for actually an, uh, EMT certification, I believe is how they met, but you know how it goes in a small town slim. There's, mm-hmm. there's like 2,500 people, everyone kind of knows each other. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is, you know, there's like a classifieds Facebook page where people always buy and sell stuff. Um, you know, they post on there. That's actually how I found uh, a different uh, beef supplier, which I'm going to pick up a full cow uh, tomorrow or later this week in a different area, you know, one hour from from that town in Wyoming. So um, it's pretty easy if, if you just get connected with your town, uh, which yep. I think is what you're looking for me to say, you know, talk to <laughs> talk to the people in, in your town and, and reach out. Don't be shy. Um, there also is farmers markets that's probably a better outlet for people in larger areas um, because that's how a lot of the, you know, ranchers and farmers get to the larger communities. Um, But yeah, don't hesitate to reach out, Google searches and just start calling people and ask them about their system, what they're doing, how many cattle they're running and how to buy some beef. Yeah. And that's a good point is like uh, from day one, you know, I come from small town, Texas, you know, and you know, I'm getting to where a point, a point in time now is like, you know, people ask me what the beef initiative is. I said, well, it's relationship building is what it is. Let's talk about relationship building. And, and I think for a lot of people, honestly, and this is not a judgment. And I say that all the time because it's not, it's an observation. I don't think a lot of young men in this country know how to build relationships anymore because you guys grew up with digital apparatuses in your hands and, you know, going out there and really knowing how to do a handshake, how to look somebody in the eyes and being confident enough to do that is lost art. And so I commend you on doing that, taking the, you know, having the, the mental proudness to be able to go out there and not being afraid of it. And in, let's talk about the platforms in which the, the farmers and ranchers usually have to use is one of the ver- worst platforms in the world is Facebook, but they have to use it. It is a tool. And it is an evil tool, but that's what they have. That's the only thing that they have. And so, you know, starting the beef initiative, I said, we're going to give the American rancher and producer a voice that they don't have because people don't realize how censored they are on that platform and how the rules and, you know, that that if they're trying to sell a product that they can't even really sell a product in the way that they should be able to sell a product on, on Facebook, you know, on Instagram, on TikTok, all these centralized platforms are really stifling and they're a form of censorship that a lot of people don't understand, but they're there and they're, they're out there, but it takes us the consumer to go out there and find them. 
and you know you talk about google searches well i don't even you know you use google as for what google is of course and you know i have a long history with google i remember i used to fly out to uh, california palo alto before google was google and we were kind of working with each other and they were a fantastic discovery of technology and they were amazing these days it's a it's an index in which you get trapped in and that everybody thinks that's the internet but what you have to do as far as a consumer as well and as a rancher and producer is use other different types of uh researching capabilities searching capabilities brave browsers duck duck you know compile a list of different browsers that you're going to use to look for these farmers and ranchers that's something that everybody needs to know so going on to that you know, going and finding them and, and being willing to basically establish a relationship with them first. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It has nothing to do with the beef, really, at the beginning. It is about education. And, and if you can go into any relationship and be willing to be educated, then you're going to get some value for value exchange that it improves your life. So, okay, so you were, you were able to meet the rancher through a class, EMT, EMT class. You guys went out there. And you got to experience, you know, horsemanship. You got to get on uh, the horses. You got to see the cattle and everything. Take it from there. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I, I just got hooked on, you know, learning more about farming as, as I kind of dove into the depths of the food system from there. So, um, you know, reading books like Sacred Cow, From Dirt to Soil, um, Joel Salatin's work, Alan Savory's work. You know, I, I was kind of just so interested in learning more. Um, because also I just, you know, I had the, the motivation to experience it and, and you see these vast lands in, in Wyoming and, and other rural areas and, and you appreciate it a lot. So that, that was kind of my, my journey. And since then, you know, I've been purchasing beef, you know, in bulk. I think it's the best way to support a local economy. I think it's the best way from your own uh, monetary perspective, you're saving money if you buy it in bulk. Um, and then you're doing a service for your community and, you have food security for you and some friends and family as well, which is a huge issue right now. Um, yeah. So that was a few years ago, you know, that was kind of the beginning of my journey and then um, kind of just been uh, furthering that education since. Uh, and that's how I really had some more motivation to, to write the book about, about beef. Um, originally I was going to call it, um, you know, I was I was going back and forth, you know, how can I write a book about the health community as well as the um, Bitcoin community? But um, I was struggling how to do that. I originally thought I was going to call the book Bitcoin and biohacking. Thank God I didn't because <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, I, I hate uh, first of all, I hate I hated that term in general. Um, yeah. And really, I was just trying to find something clever. And I was like going through the criticisms. Um, I was like, wow beef and Bitcoin actually have, you know, the same criticisms in a lot of aspects and they both get dragged through the mainstream media for the same reasons, you know, environmental reasons and, and all this, there's so much mis misinformation about both these topics. And, you know, I knew a lot about both these topics. So that's kind of how I landed on Bitcoin and beef. And I'm so glad I did um, because I think it makes a lot more sense. It really does. And you bring up a very good point for people that don't see, don't understand the relationship of Bitcoin and beef. And, you know, whenever I go out there, I talk to ranchers and after we've got a, a, a relationship established, 
and it's not about Bitcoin or it's not about beef in the beginning, but, you know, you continue those conversations and it is amazing the similarities that come together, you know, and everybody in the Bitcoin space from, you know, like Matt O'Dell from Marty to Parker, you know, everybody that I kind of deal with and they've helped me, you know, grow the beef initiative in the ways that they're helping. They all basically come to the same conclusion is like in even a friend of mine, David Bennett, which is none of your business. He goes, man, we've got we've got uh, Bitcoiners orange pilling ranchers and we got ranchers uh, ranch pilling Bitcoiners. And it's such an even balance because once you get it, you get it because the war on Bitcoin and the war on beef is real. And they're very symbiotic for a lot of the same reasons. And that's what I found out. That was my moment of clarity saying, man, we've got something here. We need to start talking about this. And, you know, it's a form of food intelligence that's going to get us there because it, it really does. You see the decentralization of how these ranchers have, you know, always survived from their lifestyles to their, you know, how they approach their protocols of raising that beef and the land itself. And then how you look at the protocol of Bitcoin, the ethos of it and, you know, the proof of work that you have to have you know the the verification process you don't trust anything you have to verify first and it all really just comes in, in together in this moment of like oh uh-huh. and then here we are and uh, it does happen to everybody that puts that time and you know being a content creator like you are right now i mean you're really forging a path like this book has got a lot of staying power you know and it's just getting started so i'm i'm excited for you for that so, okay, let's get to the here and now. I mean, what are we doing the here and now? What are you finding out is your best kind of communication model? What is missing for you to get more recognition? And what are you feeling these days as far as the message that you want to start, uh, you know, take something from the book and then, and then project it out right now to where you are and how you're moving forward? Yeah, you know, just to start is I think the the book is, is kind of what I see is just uh, – it's a tool for people to either learn about the other side of the coin. Maybe you're a Bitcoiner and you don't know a lot about the food system or beef and regenerative farming. So then you can use that because you'll probably have the, you know, that, that principle of, of mindset of decentralization, use that the book to learn about the other side of the coin and make that connection and vice versa. If you're a farmer and into beef and, you know, believe in that, you can understand how Bitcoin is, you know, the most decentralized form of money that we've ever had and will provide you the, the hardest form of money to save for your business going forward. Um, so there's that. And then in general, um, it can also just be a tool for friends and family. So really, I wrote this book. Um, I'm not a Bitcoin core developer. I'm not a regenerative farmer, but I'm highly interested in these topics I have a master's degree in engineering, so I understand how to read the research and take conclusions from this um, based on my background. And of course, you know, engineering helps with some of the more technical aspects, such as, you know, the the energy, the Bitcoin mining argument. Um, But in reality, I wanted to write a book that is digestible and, and it's easy to read. So it's easy to convince other people and provide factual firepower because what I write in the meat no pun intended of the book is defending the criticisms of, of these two topics by, you know, the mainstream media. And a lot of times people just, you know, they know that, that eating meat is, is really not bad for them nutritionally or for the environment. 
um, but they don't really know why and they don't know the facts and the research to support that. And same goes with Bitcoin, uh, mining, uh, criminal use, um, hackability, things like that. So I really wanted to provide that um, factual firepower so that they can defend what they believe in. And then, you know, setting the scene in the beginning, our first chapter is what is Bitcoin? Because I feel like so many people, I have so many friends, family members, they know what it is, they've heard of it, but they just think it's a, you know, a cryptocurrency that has gone up a lot of, in the past, you know, decade in price. And, uh, but they don't really know how it works. And the problem with all these criticisms is if you don't understand the technicalities and, and the actual functionality of these topics, which they are very technical, you know, blockchain and uh, the Bitcoin network, uh, proof of work, it's highly technical information for, you know, your average individual to understand. So you need to have a basis of understanding before you can defend or criticize it, which is the problem with a lot of the mainstream media, these journalists, they don't really know how the Bitcoin network functions. They don't know how proof of work works. They don't know how money works or how the monetary system functions. And then the same thing with beef, you know, they don't really understand nutritional um, information. They don't understand soil health, soil biology, biodiversity, regenerative farming, carbon sequestration, um, the difference between methane and carbon dioxide as a gas. Again, very technical topics. So I want to cut through um, the important takeaways so you can understand um, these technical topics a little bit better, but still keep it high level and then connect the two at the end of the second half of the book on why decentralization matters a lot. So that's kind of what I see this book as. It's really a tool and a resource as a starting point. You know, if, if you're a really experienced uh, person in the Bitcoin community, you might, you're, you're going to read this and a lot of it you're already going to know, but a lot of the other information on, on the beef side of things is really going to open your mind and, and how it's connected. But for me, yeah, what am I doing right now? You know, I'm promoting this book as much as possible, getting on podcasts, talking to people like you. Um, I think that's been successful. I'm trying to ramp up my Twitter engagement, writing some more threads has been a popular uh, move for me recently. So getting more uh, engagement, more active on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I think that's just the way to go forward to, to keep pushing this out there as a resource for people to, you know, orange pill and ranch pill, like you said, they're friends and family and, and back up what they believe in. And I'm just trying to scale that effort in any way possible that I can. And wow, I did not, you know, I knew that the macro environment was, you know, this stuff was going to happen when I was writing this book in 2021. But man, it's, it's, it's gotten even crazier than we anticipated, right? Inflation is, is probably higher than anyone thought. I mean, numbers this morning came out 9.1%, but really it's probably, you know, double digits to be honest. And then, you know, the food security stuff that's going on in, in other countries and supply chain issues, is, it's really scary. So now is the time more than ever to get educated on these topics. Yeah, there really is. And, you know, I, I found, you know, whenever I went on that tour that, you know, one thing that I found is that we're detached from understanding what food truly is. Uh, you know, we really don't, we've, we've been separated with what, you know, got us here as far as nutrition, consumption models, market access to pure, pure and whole foods. And uh, the other thing that I noticed is a form of complacency that has overtaken our nation that was basically engineered by a sense of a yearning for convenience. And whenever you say convenience and food in the same sentence, 
then you, you tell me that you really don't understand food and the value of it. And I see that across and it, you know, it's just something that w has gotten, we're here, right? It's our society. It's, it's, we live in a, in a, 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 um, a kind of a food industrial system that basically has, you know, been changed throughout the last 50 years in this, this period of time of 50 years is that you know we've seen our health decline we've seen the the nutritional value of our our uh, food supplies decline um you know basically we've seen the money decline at the same time so we're in the here and the now and i think right now i tell everybody is like you better start engineering your own suffering a little bit now if you don't somebody's gonna uh engineer that suffering for you and what i mean about that is to become a little bit more aware educate yourself on some food intelligence get back to the source of the seed of how we got here and you know start my biggest thing look at your market access that you do or do not have within your local community and if you start there you're going to be able to start kind of creating a roadmap that is going to give you an option of market access that you control that where you can become your own food supply with bitcoin you know we're trying to all become our own banks and education is key right now and you know that's what the book is about that's what you know my writings have been about you know started off with the harvest of deception that's what the beef initiative is about is establishing these relationships with these ranchers the ones that who actually want to feed you and they do it and they've been doing it for decades and it's time to give them that voice but with saying that, that form of complacency is very dangerous right now. And we don't know how this, you know, this global, there's a global food industrial shift that's going on. And I keep on harping about this. And I've been, you know, kind of telling everybody for at least a year now that this is coming. And, you, you know, we're not doomers here, but we're saying, hey, this is a moment of clarity that you need to pay attention to. If you're really serious about, you know, taking care of yourself, your family and your friends and your children, that it's time to really look at food without convenience in mind, but a sense of survival that has strength behind it. My grandfather was a farmer and rancher. He got to where he was because of his sense of intentionality towards food. He, he said, I'm going to create my own market access. I'm going to create my own food supply for my family and my community. If we can all from here on out start looking at food in a different way with a sense of agency that does have that intentionality to it, we, we've got great opportunity right here in front of us. You know, as the as the world goes through this, you know, process of this industrial food shift, because it's happening, it's not turning around. This is going to happen. They are going to change the food supplies in ways that people do not understand. And we don't have to be a part of that, though. And, you know, if you really go forward with decentralizing your food supply in the way that you can, there's going to be tools like your book. There's going to be tools like the Beef Initiative. You're going to be able to establish those relationships and you're going to be able to go out there and kind of create a new lifestyle for yourself. And uh, talking about lifestyles, you know, we're, we're about to have a conference in Colorado. Do you know much about our, co our conference in Colorado? Me? Yeah, I'm, I'm going. So I'm I really I just, well, I had to throw that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. 
yeah, I mean, we're going to have the meat mafia there, you know, everybody's working, you know, with uh, those guys with, uh, you know, Clemenza and Salazzo and, you know, that, that nutritional part of all of this, that lifestyle people are starting to pay attention to, you know, they're starting to read those books like you brought up, you know, with Dr. Sean Baker's, you know, the carnivore and I, uh, and then the, the medical community is coming in like right now in this live cast, we have Dr. McCall from uh, the UK is on this live cast right now you know, watching us, we have the medical community coming in. We have people that have gone through these life experiences of nutrition and finding out what it is again. And that's what these conferences are about. They're about getting this collective, you know, mindset going that that is that lifestyle that I talk about. And, you know, at this conference, you know, I love it that you're going to be there. How many books are you going to bring by the way? I don't know. I I think I need to order some more. I think that's, that's a good idea. I have (laughs) a few extra. Yeah, well, just bring, you know, bring a few, you know, bring as many as you want, really. And, uh, you know, bring a, we can get you onboarded with IBEX because uh, the Beef Initiative is now partners with uh, OSHI, the OSHI app and IBEX. And IBEX is going to be there doing um, onboarding. Basically, we're going to have things that we're going to have a tablet that people can come up and we're going to have, you know, uh, uh, regenerative uh, wine there, regenerative uh, beer there. We're going to have things that people can actually purchase with Bitcoin. So show up with some books and, you know, we can get you onboarded with IBEX. You can start accepting, you know, payments, you know, whatever. Create that roadmap for you that you can offer this book that people can pay in Bitcoin. And so, you know, um, I'm glad you're coming to the conference. Uh, Everybody, it's uh, time's running out. We've got, you know, July 22nd to 24th. It's, uh, you know, it's in Crawford, Colorado. So go to thebeefinitiative.com and look it up. Get your tickets. Get to Colorado. It's going to be a hell of a conference. It's a three-day conference. And what it is, it's education. And think about Tristan, you're going to be there and how many people that, you know, you're going to be able to educate and help them, you know, get onboarded into either Bitcoin or into beef. And that's what I want the beef initiative to be. I want everybody that's working in this space to use the beef initiative as a way that they can better themselves, better your mission and what you're trying to accomplish. So saying that um how are you where, where are you right now are you up in that part of colorado where where are you at how are you getting there yeah yeah so i'm actually in salt lake city right now um, okay i've kind of been between salt lake city and wyoming i own a house up in wyoming um in that same town i, I talked about but right. uh yeah i was I was working remotely for for two years during covid and then my job was actually in, in the bay area in silicon valley and uh they were kind of like, Hey, come back. You know, we're going back to the office. It's like, why, you know, I've worked remotely successfully for two years. I really enjoy the work-life balance. I prefer to live in Wyoming, Utah. I love the outdoors and this is just where I want to be. I don't want to be in California in, in a big city, a big metropolitan area. So, uh, yeah, I, I went back there for a month actually. And then I just changed jobs because of that. So now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm based in Salt Lake City. My job is here, but it's a mostly remote job. So I have the flexibility to go up to Wyoming whenever and as, as long as I want. So it's really nice. And yeah, I can do more things focused here in the community. I know we were talking before and we need to get a Salt Lake City or, or Wyoming kind of on the beef initiative train. There's a lot of ranchers out here that you know could use the direct to consumer model to help help their business and and understand the benefits of bitcoin wyoming is like a leader in in bitcoin um yeah. with uh with loomis uh and cynthia loomis the senator and 
and a, a few others. So yeah, I, I would love to be a part of that and, and keep the momentum going out here in the mountain West, but yeah, I'll be driving down from, uh, from Salt Lake. Great. Well, I'm glad you're coming. I'm glad we're going to meet in person and shake each other's hands. And, you know, let's talk about Wyoming. I mean, I've got my eye on Wyoming. You know, it is leading in Bitcoin. It's leading in beef, too. A lot of people don't realize, you know, there's a lot of ranchers in Wyoming that have been doing doing it for a while. You want to talk about cowboys and ranchers. Well, I tell you what, Wyoming's a different breed of people up there. And it's fascinating how, you know, the grit they have, the elements they work in, the innovations they bring into everything that they do in that state is is awesome. And, uh, you know, I had a phone call today with uh, Ryan. He's up in Wyoming. There's so many people mm -hmm. that are in the Bitcoin space and the beef space. So hopefully I'm going to be uh, going up to Wyoming right in sometime in October. I'm going to be out in Idaho and I'm going to hit Montana and Wyoming. So, you know, everybody that's out there in Wyoming, uh, we've got we've got our eyes on you. So, you know, we're going to come and shake some hands and see what we can get going. And uh, hopefully we can uh, kind of meet up with uh, Senator Loomis and, you know, create some uh, conversations that a wider audience can hear. Because you're right, she's in the Bitcoin and she's in the beef. So, you know, here we go. Um, let's get back to the book so we can honor the book. What is one of the favorite parts of the book that you like that you, you've heard people kind of respond to, you know, so they can go out there and get this book? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, um, defending the criticisms was really, uh, you know, the most important part of the book. Um, like I mentioned, it's kind of the meat of the book. And really, I, I, I want to just defend what I believe in with facts and, and the latest scientific research. So one of those areas that I mostly talk about on, on podcasts um, is, is the environmental argument, which I think is probably the biggest one on both of these topics, right? Um, you always hear, you know, some, some arguments against beef for, you know, can it causes cancer, um, it could cause indigestion, or, you know, nutritionally inferior, I, I think those are super easy to kind of uh, defend against and, and displace those arguments. But the environmental piece is a lot more complicated, more nuanced, more complex. So that's one I really took pride in. And, and same thing with Bitcoin mining. Again, um, that's a really important technical topic. So yeah, I would say that. Um, uh, I don't know if you want me to go into the details a little bit of, of each um, here, but I, I think well, that's one thing I want to talk about and you bring up a good point is kind of the climate, you know, the climate mm -hmm. argument that we're all having. And it is tough to define, you know, to to go against the the narrative that's out there, because what people do is they automatically label you as like, oh, you don't believe that we need to save the planet. You know, and of course, you know, that virtue signaling crap that gets out there and thrown in our faces and people couldn't be so further from the truth. But what we're doing is we're talking about the true solutions, you know, with CO2, with nitrogen, everything that they're weapon, you know, that they're using against us as far as people that are in regenerative animal producing everything, energy, of course, you know, they, they really don't understand what the solution is and, and basically what the solution has always been, you know, and it starts from the ground up. It starts within the soil itself and you, it, people expose themselves really fast whenever they try to go with this narrative that they're pushing on us and they're trying to change the world and basically enslave us in ways that people don't understand from the ESG model to everything that we've got going on right now. So that is, it is a hard argument. It is a hard form of education and it takes time. 
but what do you found best that works for you as far as kind of going against this propaganda that is about climate change? Yeah, so I what I found is best is is actually to start with kind of the what what are what is the media saying? What does the science say? So people like to start with like regenerative farming, carbon sequestration, but I think that's almost like a two deep of a topic to start with. I, I, I think you should leave that for the end because for me, it's like, hey, all right, let's look at what some of these media outlets are saying about beef CO2 equivalent emissions. Um, they're saying it's like, you know, 10, 12, 15% of, of all emissions, whether that's good or bad, you know, the CO2 people who are just saying it doesn't even matter. That's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who are on the fence who need to be convinced here, right? So what in reality, you know, in reality, the, the actual number is probably like four or five percent is, is, is uh, emissions due to cattle. And then you go in and you educate them that these are all calculated in equivalent carbon dioxide emissions. Beef releases methane, which is a totally different gas. So then I educate them on, you know, some work done by Dr. Frank Mitloner and, and some researchers from Oxford University saying that the scaling factors, the global warming potential factors of um, methane compared to carbon dioxide are actually heavily skewed and not accurately taking into the lifespan of these gases because they're totally fundamentally different gases. When in reality, if a beef herd is held consistent over 10 to 12 years, there's no really additional methane being put into the atmosphere due to the characteristic of that gas. And as you know, or you might know in the United States, our beef, our, our cattle herd is actually down 25, 30% since the 70s where it peaked. I know Sean Baker talks a lot about this. So if you're going to talk about warming due to uh, methane in the atmosphere due to beef in the U.S., it's actually not contributing whatsoever. It may be going down. In other areas of the world, such as Africa, it may be going up. But that's kind of educating on why these numbers that the media is saying is actually very heavily flawed and heavily controversial in the scientific community. Then you can start talking about carbon sequestration. We didn't even start talking about the benefits of beef that can sequester carbon if properly managed in a regenerative system. Um, and then, you know, why do we need regenerative with animals? Well, actually research from the Rodale Institute shows that regenerative with ruminants will increase the organic matter the most compared to regenerative with just plants or conventional farming methods. So um, that's kind of I like to layer it in, and then I like to do the same with, with Bitcoin mining. Oh, Bitcoin mining consumes the same amount of energy as like, you know, Sweden. That's not even a lot of energy. The, you know, global Bitcoin mining is like 0.2% of all global energy production. And as you've seen in the news, um, Slim, the past couple of days here, you realize uh, that Bitcoin miners are actually the most flexible consumers of energy we have on the planet. And I like to say probably the best thing that's happened for the grid since the inception of the grid because, you know, you got real hot days here in Texas. All Bitcoin miners in Texas have shut off operation because the prices are so high. It's, it's not profitable for them to operate. We're leaving the grid of, you know, one megawatt of, of capacity and immediately helping alleviate some of this pressure on, on ERCOT, the, uh, the Energy Council here uh, of Texas. So that's another thing that I like to layer in, you know, start with the numbers and comparisons of, you know, Bitcoin mining, how much energy does it really take, how much energy should it monetary system consume, and then actually show them that Bitcoin miners are mostly sustainable, mostly renewable because they have to be profitable. And then they're actually the most flexible consumers of energy ever and improving the resiliency of the grid.
That's it's such a great point. And let's just kind of start there and then I'll go back to the the population of cattle in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as far as ERCOT, Texas, everything, people really don't understand how the miners are actually really benefiting and contributing yeah. to energy uh, conservation in the state of Texas. And one, we're in a drought I and mean, we're hitting hundreds and hundreds every, you know, consecutive days, consecutive days. And guess what? You know, they, they keep on projecting and projecting, but I think, you know, the mining in Texas is starting to have a very positive effect that they're not even going to be able to argue anymore if we get through the rest of this, you know, summer, this heat wave that we're going through. And that's going to be, of course, that's going to be something that is reflected over time because we had the power outages in the wintertime, you know, with the, the you know, we shut down for a, a good period of time in Texas, we lost power. So it's going to be interesting how this plays out and how we can really kind of reflect back on you know these miners can shut down and it helps balance out that grid to where it doesn't it's not a peak and valley you know it's a it's a more of a constant flow of energy that is help monitored by the mining and in, in bitcoin mining in texas so good point well done uh it's a perspective thing of course that's how you start with education you make sure you got a good perspective let's go back to the cow methane co2 and everything and what dr sean baker does bring up a lot about is you know the population of cattle in the united states right now is about 94 million right uh russia has about 92 million uh you know guess what India has uh, 300 million cattle and, you know, they're not part of this climate change thing. They're like giving the finger to the, you know, the WHO, the WEF, the IM, everybody that's trying to basically prohibit, you know, them having cattle in their, in their country, they're not participating. Okay. That's, a, that's one perspective. So they have three, the three times as amount of uh, cattle population the United States does. The only people that are having to be affected by this uh, carbon, you know, the cow being a carbon hazard are basically the Western countries that are based on the U.S. dollar. That's basically, you know, that that is the strength. And you, you look at that and who they're really targeting with ESG, with this climate change narrative and everything, it has nothing to do with the cow itself. It's just a target. It's a fabricated target that has nothing to do with it. Cargill went out there and created, and they're creating these masks, which once again, you know, methane, it's not cow farts, you know, cows, uh, you know, they, they get rid of methane and they burp, you know. And so Cargill went out there and developed a mask for the cow. So once again, it's a fiat idea based on a fiat lie that only the Western countries have to put up with. You talk about Africa, they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be pressured into doing anything because they can't be because, you know, it's so decentralized in Africa as far as the cattle industry itself. Same with India. It's not like they're consuming the cattle in India, of course, because of their religions. And you, you look at it, what is the intention of, of attacking the cow? Well, it has nothing to do with carbon. It has nothing to do with the climate. It has to do with everything with power, nutrition, protein, and what, and what got us here. What got us here? What was our strength? And so it really is an attack on pure food. And that's what a lot of people don't understand at this point in time is that the more that you can basically prohibit against pure animal protein is the more that you can control the society through their consumption models and a lack of market access leads to a weaker society and a more controllable society that is willing to comply with basically the direction in which the powers that be are shooting down our faces right now. Yeah. And it's, it's also about, profits 
you can't yeah. make that much money ranching beef. I mean, no. You, I mean, we'll, we'll, we can talk to Jason right in in a couple of weeks and ask him what his profit margins are, and they're slim. Um, yeah. So you you talk about Cargill. I, I don't know if it's Cargill or JBS. They're huge investors in plant based food. You know why? They're because the biggest they're, investors. You're, yeah. you're bringing up a damn valid point right there, and yeah, I've been talking about that recently. So. You're right. Because they like money. They like making money. It's a business and beef is not a great business um, for centralized corporations. It's a great business for the individual in terms of food security, in terms of nutrient density, in terms of biodiversity. But do big corporations and governments care about that? Of course not. Who? And that's where this intersection between food and money really is, is happening. And if, you know, they want to switch everyone over to, you know, bug proteins because they can make factories that will just churn out bugs or churn out plant-based burgers or lab-based, lab-made meat because they can monetize that and then they can make 50, 60% margin instead of, you know, two, three, 5% margin and they're raking it in. You know, it's all about keeping this economy, this fiat economy built um, and that's kind of on stilts right now, really shaking and just coming up with new ways to to make money out of out of nothing that's ne- necessary when we have these traditional methods that are much more effective for the individual. So yeah, that's what I think. It all it all comes down to these centralized corporations. Sure, um, all the money. Yeah, World Economic Forum, and then yeah, who's paying who? I talk about a lot that a, a lot about that in the book. You know, why do the media say these things? Well, that's because who's their advertisers? Who's paying their bills? Um, lobbyists, subsidies, just yeah. follow the money. Yeah, and it's a good point, but you brought up a JBS, Cargill, Tyson, and National, the four major processors in the world. Guess who is the four biggest investors in this new industrial food shift that is basically built on the processing centers that are coming our way in the future? They're taking out the animal and they're taking the soil out of these processing centers. And what they're going to do is they're going to go for higher profit margins with this great global marketing plan that everybody's going to eat bugs and you're going to like it because they're going to taste good. And, and people just don't understand the power behind it, how much money has been invested in this industrial food shift, uh, you know, the, and you're seeing it. I mean, the processing centers that have burned down, all that kind of stuff, you know, it is what it is. But what people really need to understand when I say this, it's an industrial food shift. What that means is you've got to rebuild the plants. You got to rebuild the processes. You got to rebuild the the labs. To, it, it, as far as you know, you take the the cow out of the processing, and you're going to replace it with bugs. That's a whole different process that basically creates a whole new demand for fiat profit margin. Everything is it's an industrial shift. It's just not changing meat to bugs. The whole industry is changing, and that's what they're trying to pull off here. And if people can look at it from a macro standpoint of what's been done in the past and where we are right now, the Netherlands, you know, Sri Lanka, these, you know, these countries that are really going up against the powers that be right now, uh, well, it's about stealing the land. It's about stealing the animal out of the process. And then, you know, if, if you look at our consumption models that we have right now, going back to that complacency, they know that people will eat things because it tastes good. And that we've proven that with our health, where we are as a nation, you know, we're metabolically bankrupt. You know, we're, you know, 78% of us are either obese or overweight. 
one out of two is either diabetic or pre-diabetic. They know that we like to eat because it tastes good and because it's convenient. So getting that perspective and, you know, moving forward, it's stuff like, you know, this podcast, people that are listening to this podcast, people that are reading your book, there are solutions out there. And you and I, Tristan, are both kind of, we're, we're showing proof of work and we're asking everybody to come along with us. So um, by saying that, we're getting kind of on top of the hour today, but I like to keep these about an hour long. Let's talk about your pathway forward. Anything else that you want people to know about you? How can they follow you? Uh, what, what's your next plans for the, for the year? And uh, how, would, how would you like to collaborate with the Beef Initiative moving forward? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again for, for having me. I think this is a really powerful message. And uh, yeah, you can uh, follow my social media for sure to look, get tidbits from the book. Support the book. It's it's on Amazon. Please re- leave a five-star review so it kind of gets bumped up in the algorithm on Amazon. That's really important. Um, I'm at Bitcoin and underscore beef on Twitter. I think it's showing right here. Uh, on Instagram, I post more like health-related content, just insights of my daily lifestyle stuff, which is Tristan underscore health. Also, I have a Bitcoin and beef page on, on Instagram, so you can check it out there. Um, but yeah, you know, what's what's my vision going forward? I'm going to work, you know, as hard as I can in any spare time I have to, you know, promote this type of content, my book, my message. I want to educate as many people as I possibly can on the truth behind the centralized corporations that are that are running the world, the systems um, and, and why Bitcoin and beef are, are solutions and, and uh, uh, an outcry against that, a fight against the system. And that's also the message I want to spread here. I talk about in the book. I think we get too distracted with our internal conflicts, diet wars, you know, carnivore versus paleo versus keto. I mean, even vegans, I I could have more in common with a vegan than someone who's just traditionally eating, you know, fast food and processed foods because they at least took a mental stand against the food system. And obviously there's a variety of vegans, you know, someone who's eating impossible burgers versus someone who might just be buying local vegetables at a farmer's market. We need to come together and fight the system. Stop fighting silly diet wars or, you know, crypto wars. You know, we need to come together and fight the common enemy here. That's my message. That's what I'm going to continue to spread. I think, um, you know, I would love to collaborate with the Beef Initiative going forward in in areas here in, in Utah and Wyoming. My goal in, in five to 10 years is to save up money from my engineering job and uh, using Bitcoin as a resource to do that effectively and, and become a regenerative rancher of my own in Wyoming. That's the long term goal. Um, I really want to spread that message and, and be part of that myself um, and, and also looking into ways to to effectively manage and, and, and ranch high quality meats, not just beef. Um, actually, in Wyoming, I would love to see more bison. It's kind of the natu- natural wild ruminant out here, and they're actually more resilient, need less inputs. They can eat a wider range of forage. So that's something I really got my eye on learning more. So maybe, maybe we'll have a, a Bitcoin and bison volume two in, in a few years. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. kind of what I'm working on. And uh, whatever opportunity I can to keep spreading the message and and improve the you know resiliency of ranchers out here and educate them on stuff you're doing will be uh things that i really want to get involved with 
Uh, love it, Tristan. Uh, you know, it's it's been a pleasure. Sorry it took a little time for us to connect and everything, but, you know, timing is everything. That's the most important thing in, in life in general. Uh, having that low time preference, you know, and patience and focus is what this is all about. Um, you know, the collaboration is just starting today. Uh, we've got some people saying, you know, great discussion. And let's keep that discussion moving forward. And, you know, I, I look forward to seeing you in Colorado. Um, everybody go out there and check out uh, Tristan at Bitcoin and underscore beef, of course. Uh, you know where to find, you know, Beef Initiative, Modern T Man, of course. Here we are. Um, let's uh, let's let's keep this collaboration going, folks. This is basically open sourced and it's a uh, crowdsourced. This is what we're all doing. We're working together. You know, the Beef Initiative is about beef. I'm from freaking Texas. Is what else would it be about? But what it is really, truly about in the end, it's about pure food. It's about saving children's lives for the future. And that's what we're doing here. We have to take that responsibility. We have to step up as individuals and we have to show some proof of work in our lifestyles, in our consumption models. We have to create new market access that's going to empower us. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to ask for permission. And we are going to become the distraction instead of paying attention to the distractions out there that are used to program you and think differently than you probably should or even want to. So, Tristan, appreciate you. We're going to see you in a couple of days up there in Colorado. I look forward to it. Everybody else, remember, uh, we are now on Podcasting 2.0. Get and download the Fountain app. Go there and check it out. And always, anybody out there in the United States, the Beef Initiative is delivering beef to your doorstep in partnership with KNC Cattle. Go to thebeefinitiative.com. Buy the Texas Slim's Top Hand Beef Box and do it today. We are accepting Bitcoin and fiat. So it's up to you. You don't have to tell anybody. You know, you you create your market access today and we're going to see you on the flip side. Tristan, take care. Everybody else, I appreciate you. Uh, more content coming your way. Have a great day, guys. Thanks, Slim. You bet. Thank you. Here at the Beef Initiative, we encourage all you ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing.